The 11 Dubcast is back in the hizzy with a national championship, <laughs> and I am Michael Citro. I am John Aginter. Holy crap, Johnny. We're going to look back at a, a great 2014 season yeah. and, and talk about, you know, all the ups and downs and turbulence, and uh, we got some, you know, very special guests coming up tonight, but I uh, just want to ask you, first of all... Okay. How have you been enjoying the last week? All right, so I think I've moved from, like, disbelief mode, right, where it happened, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, uh, okay. Uh, so I moved from that to accept it. So this is kind of like reverse stages of deni- of uh, grief, you know? Uh-huh. Like, I'm, I'm yep. going through the stages of, like, like super happiness. <laughs> so at first I'm, like, in total disbelief, and then, like, denial. Like, no, no way. Like, during the end of the game, I know there was, like, five minutes left, and there, mathematically we were going to win, but I just absolutely could not accept it. I was like, no, it's not. I can't believe it. Right? And then afterwards, I was kind of like, what just happened? And now I'm kind of, like, in resting on my laurels mode, where I'm just, like, this this fat, corpulent, you know, Greek, you know, <laughs> senator or whatever, and I'm just, like, getting fed grapes by, you know, like, washerwomen and things. Like, it's... It just feels good, man. It just feels good. It feels good. It it really does. You know, I'm with you because, um, you know, I think it's been well chronicled. I wrote about it a year and a half ago on the site, <laughs> and then I, I wrote about closure today. Yeah. Um, about how I missed the end of the 2003 championship game because right. I had thought that the incomplete pass was the last play, and I turned off the TV before yeah, that's the flag flew. Willie Loman stuff I've ever heard my entire life. It, it is, and and I got my closure. Yeah. But I'm like you. At the end, I was sitting there thinking. This is Oregon. They can score like on one play, and they still have two timeouts. Yeah. And, and and when Ohio State scored that last touchdown, the one that Oregon fans are all bitter about, um, right. I was like, I was, I finally, I went, I, it, it was like something, like a light turned on. I was like, oh my god, we're gonna win this game. Yeah. Like, oh my god, like, like I knew it was a probability before that, but I was like, I wasn't like gonna take that for granted. I mean, look what the hell happened to the Packers yesterday. Yeah, I was, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty well day. in shock with our last dubcast, which I don't think was even listenable because I was just like freaking out the entire time. I know, right? It was just, uh, <laughs> man. But now, you know, we've had some perspective. Like you, I've just been sort of, I've sort of just like faded into this mellow happiness. Yeah, man. It's just like every day I like I think every single morning since then I woke up and went, Hey, we're champions. Yeah. Uh and then uh you know, and then gone about my day, which is it's a nice way to start the day. I agree. Uh to to remember that your your team is the national champions. And in fact I I didn't get out and get the sports illustrated with Ezekiel Elliott on the cover. Mm-hmm. So today I was like, you know, crap, I gotta order it because I missed it at the newsstand, so I you know, I ordered it online and you know, ordering championship gear and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I got to get all the gear. I got to get all like the the newspapers and stuff. I haven't done that yet. I got to get the special edition Coke and all that crap. But <laughs> it'll be fun to yeah. buy it. It'll be fun. <clears throat> yeah, our own Chris, uh, our own Chris Lauterbach yes. has sent me <laughs> the dispatch from the day after, and then I got another copy today, like unsolicited from a friend of mine oh, uh, that lives up there. So I got two copies. I'm gonna. I'm going to get it framed and, and put on a wall That's in my man cave. I should probably do something. Yeah, so, so let's get into this season a little bit because, you know, if you go back to two weeks, 12 days, I think it was, before the season, and Braxton Miller's shoulder implodes, what are you thinking there? Because I'm thinking <laughs> at best we go 9-3. and three. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. I thought 9-3 and three was a definite possibility. I mean, if you looked at the schedule, like – Schedule wasn't that hard outside of maybe three games that you could say, okay, this might give us some issues. But 
you know, I thought nine and three was probable because I thought JT Barrett would be good. I didn't think he was going to be bad at all. I mean, I, I knew the guy, you know, kind of offhandedly, but I still knew that he was a capable quarterback. So I was like, okay, he'll manage the game. We'll be fine. And then we'll, you know, we'll get to a decent bowl and, you know, get Braxton back for next year and, and we'll set up for a 2015 or yeah, 2015 run. And then we just kept winning after Virginia Tech and it just got, the team got better and better and better and better. And you're like, holy crap. Like, they might actually be really good. And then, of course, JT goes down, and you're like, God dang. <laughs> and, and then you think all is lost, and then all of a sudden they, they roll off three of the most impressive wins I think I've ever seen as an Ohio State fan. Um, I mean, Wisconsin was crazy. Wisconsin just felt like a number of factors all coming to a head at once, and you're like, okay, maybe that's a once-in-a-season kind of thing. And then it just got they just kept getting better. Like, I truly believe, I mean, if TCU wanted a piece at Ohio State, fine. That They would have lost by 30. Like, I, I think that team was on such a roll at the end of the season that there was just, they weren't going to lose a game. Um, yeah, they really peaked at the right time. Yeah. I mean, it, everything came together, and it didn't even matter who the quarterback was. They were just that good at the that end was of the, the thing. season. You're absolutely right. It did not matter. And that and that's the thing. Not to take anything away from Cardell Jones. I mean, he obviously performed magnific- magnificently given his you know role and the way he was thrust in the spotlight. But Right. He oh, was brilliant. Yeah, but I got to tell you something. Like He still made mistakes. He still did some dumb things. He threw some mm-hmm. interceptions. The team was just playing at such a high level across the board that – you turn the ball over four times to Oregon and hold them to 20 points. Right. That is, that is an absurd thing to do for any, against any Oregon team going back 10 or 15 years. That is an unbelievable thing to be able to do. Oregon, before that, their lowest point over the entire year was 24 points. I don't think Arizona turned the ball over four times against Oregon. And if they did, props to Arizona, because that is sick. Because <laughs> that is a ridiculous stat. And, and like I said, I mean, you know, Oregon... I kept waiting for them to be in the game offensively, and they never were. They really they got into a they had one great series at the beginning of the uh, game, and then after that it was like, let's try to get out of third and long, and they never could. So I really think a big point in that game was when Eli Apple pushed Bayless out of the back of the end zone oh, yeah. and held them to a field goal try. They could only pull within one, and I, I think that was very deflating for them and very uplifting for Ohio State in that game. Um, but it was in. You're right. I mean, to, to do that against Oregon and hold them to 20 points uh, is and turn the ball over four times. You're like, holy cow! If we if we got out of our <laughs> own way, it right. it would have been one of those things turnovers. where, you know, yeah, like you know, Corey Corey Smith getting the ball knocked out of his hands. Like that was probably another touchdown, right? Yeah, that was at the 10 yard line. It would have been a first and goal. Yeah, so. at the at the very least, they get points out of that. So, you know. <laughs> Like the fun, like all the kinds of things that were going on, the interception, like Jalen Marshall just letting the ball bounce out of his hands, you know, just uh, dumb stuff. And I think Ohio State really left like a good 15, 20 points on the board. So, you know, I just think Ohio State was playing at an incredibly high level. I think Irvin Meyer and the entire coaching staff, I am just in shock. And I think Urban Meyer is honestly in shock a little bit too uh, from the way the team played overall. But man, I am just like, it was the most entertaining season of football, ignoring the postseason. And I do want to talk about that a little bit because we got some accolades I think we should hand out. The the official Dubcast accolades here. But that was, All right, we can do that. Yeah, but I got to tell you something, dude. I, I think that was one of the most entertaining seasons of football I've ever seen. And again, ignoring the postseason. I had so much fun watching this team. 
because they were just they were a fun team to watch. It wasn't a funeral dirge like it. You know, I enjoyed Jim Trestle teams because I liked Trestle balling teams to death. I, I thought it was hilarious how anachronistic, you know, Ohio State used to be, and still beating teams by you know, yeah, we'll throw the ball about three times. That's fine, and then still win. Like I think that's hilarious. But more than hilarity, I just take a lot of enjoyment out of watching creative, fun football. And that's what Ohio State was this year. And they did it without, you know, Braxton Miller. They did it, uh, you know, without Noah Spence. They did it without a lot of reasons to succeed, and they still did. It was super freaking awesome to watch. So many storylines. And and it will – I mean, this is going down as – my favorite team to this point to watch in a season is, is the 2006 season. Yeah. Uh, not you know it's it's soured obviously by the way it ended, sure. but man that was my favorite team of players until you get to this season when it's like you know you you got Michael Bennett you got Joey Bosa you got the new offensive line with the slobs up front right and Ezekiel Elliott and you know all three quarterbacks uh, what a great fun team to watch and the great storylines and the ups and downs and you lose Dontre Wilson along the way right. and I mean. And every time somebody went down, somebody else stepped up. It was it was truly a next man up situation, and uh, uh, an amazing run. And you know, you get to the end of the season, and we, we laughed about this before, but you get to the end of this season and you see the job that this coaching staff did, and you went, "Yep, enjoy your trophy, Jerry <laughs> yeah. Kill. You are the you are the coach of the right. year, of the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, I you know, Jerry Kill. Like, I, I will freely admit to being completely wrong about that dude. I think he's done a really great job in Minnesota. Um, but come on, <laughs> this, I can't, can you think of a coach that has taken his team and granted Ohio state wasn't a bunch of chumps. Like obviously they had a lot of really great players on the team already, but to guide them through that kind of adversity and to lose a quarterback twice in a season, like that's just silly. Like it shouldn't happen. And, and a death on the team even. Yeah. I mean, oh I mean goodness. It's, it's a lot of stuff to deal with. And, and Irvin Meyer and his whole coaching staff just deserve all the, all the thanks in the world from us as Ohio State fans and just a lot of credit and accolades from, you know, a national audience and including, you know, David Letterman and yeah. <laughs> which that was that was fun. That too. was that was awkward. Um I don't think that's <laughs> that is you know, Urban Meyer's at home and I think a lot of different environments. I don't know that um with David Letterman is one of those. That was that was right. an interesting interview. I did enjoy him telling Dave on his own show that he can't say Michigan. <laughs> right. <way>. Right. <laughs> Um, uh, so what do you want to get into? What, what awards would you like to give out? All right, so here's what I want to talk about. First of all, I, I think uh, individually we can get to like MVP in a second, but I, I want to get a little more creative than that because I think, you know, we're a creative group. You know, I think <laughs> at least as creative as we can be at 8 o'clock on a, uh, on a Tuesday night after we've worked all day. Um, but I do want to say this. So who, is your, who do you think is the funniest dude on the team right now? The funniest dude on the team? Because I want to tell you something. Earlier in the year, I'd say Michael Bennett, hands down, right? I, right, and I, and I know that, they, I know that, uh, that, that Michael Bennett, I, I think as a season award, it's Michael Bennett, but uh, certainly of late, Tyvis Powell is, uh, has been amazing. Yeah. Uh, he's, been, he's been great. And, I mean, these guys, they stayed loose through the, the most difficult and challenging series of games that you could imagine, and in the most unbelievable circumstances, the team stayed loose and they stayed together, and it really feels like this team was a family. Yeah, I agree. And okay, so that's I agree with you. And I, I would say I think Tyvis takes it just because he's had 
he's like a dude who's batted like 500 over the last three months of a year and just ended up winning the, you know, even though he's hitting like 280 the rest of the season, <laughs> he just brought his average up so much in the last couple of months that he's got the batting title. So I think Tyvis wins it. Um, okay, second award, uh, the Tyler Moeller Award for being a really good football player but not actually a good athlete. <laughs> huh. I actually I have a, I have an answer in mind with this, but I want to a a a good football player that's not a good athlete. Yes. Um, maybe maybe how about this? Maybe even maybe not super well suited. Not to take anything from Tyler Moeller. I hope you're not listening. <laughs> but you know, maybe not super well suited for the position that they are playing. Um, I don't know how well suited he is for the position he's playing, but I think a guy who no one ever talks about who does a great job at what he does. Yeah is Bryce Haynes. Oh, okay. I think Bryce Haynes makes more plays on the punt coverage team than just about anybody. I mean, we have great gunners, and we got yeah. a good punter. Scholarship Haynes, well awarded. Yeah, Haynes makes a lot of good plays. I, I th- I'd like to see that guy get more press. Okay, fair enough. I, I'm going to pick uh, Jacoby Boren for being about five foot ten and <laughs> <laughs> and a really good set. Like, he's, he played really well on offensive line. A guy who is just basically a fire plug of a human being, mm-hmm. and I I gotta tell you something. I basically when I was thinking about, for instance, um, especially the Alabama game, right? I was like, okay, offensive line's playing really well. You know, we got some really decent players who are emerging. I'm like, God, I hope Jacoby Borden doesn't get killed. Um, <laughs> and then he comes out, and, and you know, he gets hurt, but he goes back in, and he's just fiery. And I'm like, man, this dude is not gonna ever play in the NFL, right? Like. I would love to see that, but he's never going to play in the NFL. But holy crap, he played so well during the end of the season, and I want to give that dude his props. I, I, I think he deserves it. Um, yeah, we both we both pick guys that snap the ball. Yeah, there you go. And, and you know what? They they're that's a hard thing to do. That's not an easy thing to do. So they deserve that. Um, right, and there's you know there's guys in the NFL that used to play for Ohio State that used to snap the ball over our quarterbacks' heads regularly, <laughs> and Boren didn't do that. I mean, he was pretty solid all year. That is true. That is that is very true, and they are making millions of dollars. Um, so that is that is an excellent point. Um, okay, so the next award that I have, this is maybe an award to an individual, but what do you think the most entertaining regular season game was? Most entertaining regular season game. Yeah, so Wisconsin, um, Oregon, Alabama are right out. You can't use those. They're, they're out the window. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Cincinnati game. Mm, okay. Um, and it was entertaining because it was sort of like fireworks going off for a while, and then Ohio State just started giving the ball to Zeke, and it was like, okay, now he's at 100. Now he's at 150. Now he's at 200. <laughs> it was just they couldn't – every time they handed him the ball, it was like 12, 15 yards. Yeah. Uh, it was – that was fun, and also they made some big plays. So, I mean, I, I – and I kind of am a little bit biased because it was like the best ticket I've ever had in the horseshoe. It was like right on the fifty yard line. Yeah, I so that's yeah. I think that's a really excellent choice. I am torn personally between Penn State, which I it was a really entertaining game, right? Go to overtime. Joey Bosa ends it, you know, with the the sack there, pushes the dude into Hackenberg. That was really cool. But you also kind of feel like you shouldn't have done that poorly against Penn State. Right. Um, I actually my okay. So my secret. Um, like one of my things that I, I just long for as an Ohio State fan that I've never really gotten to experience is to watch a game in a lot of snow. Like I didn't get to go to the Indiana game last year, and I would have killed mm-hmm. to go to the Indiana game had I known it was going to snow. If I didn't know it was going to snow, I'd be like, I don't, I don't care about the Indiana game. 
but I love the idea of watching football in the snow. I think the Minnesota Ohio State game was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, JT Barrett's <laughs> his, his ridiculous run. That is one of the funniest things I think I saw on a field all year. That guy runs like a golf cart with a brick on the like on the pedal. <laughs> he's not fast, but it's just and he's like top heavy, and it was nobody could catch up to him. Um, the only thing I, I was disappointed about that game was the fact that the Packers installed those heating coils at, you know, underneath the field so the snow didn't stick. Other than that, I had so much fun watching that game. I loved that game. Uh, the guy with the good dilly game. bar, the crazy gopher <laughs> fans, and those ridiculous gopher costumes. I had so much fun watching that game. That was, that was great. Yeah, I, I, I do enjoy that game. And, and I'll give a shout-out, too, to the Michigan State game because Ohio State played uh, about probably their second-best game of the year in that game yeah. in, t- in terms of uh, – the you know the regular season through Wisconsin that was probably their second best game. Yeah, that was definitely like a, a dominating performance. Um, okay, well let's let's get down the nitty gritty since we we have, we're a little short on time. Who okay. wh- who do you think turned in the greatest single game performance in the entire season? Oh man, that's uh, probably J T. Barrett. I mean, uh, in, in which you, game you you could talk about a lot of Ezekiel Elliott's uh, last three games, but. Sure. Uh, uh, Barrett had a game where he didn't he, he threw six touchdown passes. And <laughs> yeah, was, I, I can't even remember what game it was, but he was unbelievable. It was like, who knew this, this redshirt freshman would be this good? He was just killing people out there. So I, I, I think it was. I don't remember what the game was, but it was the one he, he threw six touchdown passes. You know what? I'm going to say I'm a little salty for him breaking uh, Kenny Guyton's you know Ohio State record on that. So I'm not going <laughs> to count that. Um, what I will say, I, I think Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, running against Oregon. You know, whatever. Oregon's doesn't have. I mean, again, that's not a whatever. Obviously, it was incredibly important, and you know, basically won the national championship. But Oregon also had a pretty crappy run defense. So that's not shocking to me. Running roughshod multiple times over Alabama, Ezekiel Elliott. That was. He's not. Look, Beanie Wells, right? Running over dudes and running for a couple hundred yards. Like, okay, Beanie Wells, giant human. You know, just killing dudes, <laughs> cleats on somebody's back. Like, you get it. Or, like, yeah. I don't know, Braxton Miller just being super shifty and, like, juking dudes out of their shoes. Like, you get it. Zeke Elliott doesn't look like either of those guys. And he doesn't have, like, super crazy moves. And he can only use one hand carrying the ball all season. Uh, but running over Alabama the way he did, finding the holes, letting blocks, you know, develop in front of him, he just put on a masterful performance in the Sugar Bowl. And I just thought that was sick. I, that, that's, I loved watching that. Um all right, so final question here. Overall season MVP, what do you got? Man, that is a tough one because because uh, you're you're talking about the including the playoffs in that. I'm assuming yeah, everything. Um, because it it would have easily been JT Barrett before that before oh, yeah. the playoffs easily. Um, but I guess I'm going to go with uh, Zeke for the MVP for the season. I think uh, it's you fair. could just as easy you could just as easily give it to the five guys up front. Yeah. Yeah, the way the uh, offense line would, developed, to... they're definitely most improved on the team, right? Like that's that's unbelievable right. how they changed. Um, I still say JT Barrett. I, I think here's the thing: after Virginia Tech, the team could have curled up into a ball. JT Barrett could have freaked out. They could have lost sight of what they needed to do, but he didn't. And he brought so much consistency to the most important position on the team. Like it's not just that he was amazing. Like he was great, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he was so cool and collected and calm. And just in doing that, I think he calmed the whole team down and was like, hey, we still got a whole season to play after this. 
And he gave him belief. He gave his, yeah, his he gave leadership, him belief. his consistency, his consistent amazingness. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we forget about this, but, like, I forget how many overall 300-yard games there are in Ohio State history, but before the – oh, I actually remember the stat. I take that back. There were six before this season started. There are now <laughs> nine. Okay? JT Barrett holds one-third of the total 300-yard passing games in the 125-year yep. history of Ohio State football. That is only Joe Germain has more. Yeah, that is unbelievable. So he's my MVP. Um, and you know what? Everyone listening to this and who is an Ohio State fan is my MVP because we all won the national championship, and that's freaking awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. And it's time again for Finkus on Football. We bring in our friend Matt Finkus. Matt, how you doing tonight? Doing great as always, gentlemen. Awesome. So one of the things we wanted to do tonight was wrap up the season as a whole, and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts about this, what I called them, a, a, an improbable, unbelievable, insanely awesome team. And, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, take us through the season in your eyes as, as you saw this team. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think the, the thing that I saw most from this team is just a, just a continuation and uh, the ability to grow. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that we all knew it was going to be like that. Uh, we thought that Braxton Miller was going to be able to allow that offensive line to, to gel together and give them some time, but that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, we knew it was going to take the defense a little bit of time to get into this new style of play, this new style of defense, um, but but they didn't have really time to adjust because, you know, once you lose to Virginia Tech, I mean, you're in a de facto playoff. I mean, if, if that's still your goal, or even really to get back into the uh, into the Big Ten championship game, you're talking about being in a de- in de facto playoff games every single week. And um, you know, looking at Michigan State as being the favorite, you know, you were in a winner go home kind of you don't achieve your goals kind of scenario. And as young as this football team was, I thought that was the one thing that that. Um, that could have gone either way. You know, that, that was the big unknown for me is will mm-hmm. this team continue to get better? Will, will they improve or will they take the out of, well, we, we, we've lost our guy. You know, we, we, we lost the, uh, um, you know, the, the big name, the, the, the guy who, who kind of got us here. Will, will they take that out? Um, but they didn't do that. I mean, and, and I think that's a credit to them, obviously to, for, for them to, to stick together as a team and, and, and really just improve every week. I mean, and, and again, I, this was just an improbable, you know, run. I mean, no one expected after that Virginia tech loss, no one was even looking at, it. I mean, you look, go back to the Indiana game and the Minnesota game and some of those other games, no one was expecting them to, to come out and go just that hot streak that they got on the 59 to nothing and then beating Alabama and then really handling Oregon with four turnovers. I mean, I, I I, I go back to what Urban said to me in the uh, you know in the hotel lobby of, of the Dallas hotel the next morning when he walked up to me and I said, "Hey, coach, congratulations!" And he turned to me and says, "Can you believe this?" I mean, <laughs> I mean th- that to me sums up the entire season. You know, seeing him the next morning, you know, bloodshot eyes, had a great night the night before, and just you know s- saying, "Can you believe this?" I mean, that th- that really is a season to me in a nutshell. I like to just imagine him like wandering around in the lobby of some hotel, just like not knowing where he is. Like, what just happened? No, he was going for purpose. I mean, he had a purpose. He was heading somewhere, but I don't know where it was. <laughs> well, okay. So let me ask you this: is, like, you know, speaking of Urban Meyer, this has got to be 
the greatest coaching job I have ever seen. I mean, is that is that in any doubt? Like that is the most remarkable thing that a coaching staff has been able to put together in, in your eyes in football. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the, the way that uh, I mean, we talk so much about player development and Brady Hoke and and not develop getting the five star guys in and not developing them as players. Uh, you know, even the, the the criticism of some of the defensive guys over the course of the last couple of years of them not developing. I mean, Curtis Grant not developing into the five star guy that we talk about in basketball. Amir Williams not developing, not player development. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's something that's really turned the corner. I mean, and that's something where that that falls on the assistant coaches more than than it does on Urban Meyer. I mean, Urban Meyer did a great job of assembling the staff, but those guys that work with those coaches or those kids every single day are really the ones that that deserve the credit. I mean, the position coaches, the guys that that put in the time are really the ones who who deserve the credit because they have developed these players, you know, worked the technique, got them better and better and better every week. I mean, th- th- there was never a a week I guess it's hard for me to find a week where they regressed. I mean, there might have been a week where they were stagnant and didn't make a lot of improvement as a team from week to week. But I don't. When looking back on the season, I don't find a week where they where I say, "Man, they played really great," and then they took a big step back that next week. It just didn't happen. They they continued on that upward upward trend, and I think that's really what what made the difference in this uh, in this football team. Matt, I want to get your opinion on the uh, couple of uh, end-of-season awards here. Hand out your most valuable player, most improved player, and your biggest surprise. Um, most valuable player, I, I think to me, would I mean, it's, it's got to be uh, JT Barrett. And, and as well as Ezekiel Elliott played at the, at the end of the season, you know, the three straight 200-yard games, um, JT Barrett holding that offense together, uh, I mean, it's it, 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 it's I compare it kind of to what Luke Fickle did, but he did a better job. You know, I mean, Luke came in in 2011 and was you know holding the team together by by strings and crazy glue and duct tape and trying to just not to get it to implode. And I think that's the position JT Barrett was in at the beginning of the season. Now he had a lot of great weapons around him, but uh, but I, I think he's obviously the most valuable player on this football team because without having good quarterback play that offense isn't going to 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 run the way it did um what were the other ones most improved Mm -hmm. um most improved guy to me i think was duran grant from from uh, last year to this year uh i I think that you watch the way that he played uh he was able to play more aggressive you know i mean corners a lot of times they, they get notoriety when you don't hear their name called when you don't hear a lot about them when they just shut someone down and, and you and you don't see them getting burned you know that's a good thing and i think duran grant stepped up and, and played a very very good season uh all year long biggest surprise to me um and probably to everyone in america was darren lee i mean darren lee's a kid that i watched play high school football at new albany i called a couple of his games for time warner cable sports when he was in the playoffs and he was a you know he's a quarterback and a safety and you know loved it, it when i watched him in high school he was a kid who looked like he loved to play offense and defense was just something that he was doing because he was the best athlete on the field um 
he had changed so much and, and made so much of an impact on that football team. And you go back to the Maryland game where or you go back to the Navy game, first game of the season, returns a fumble for a touchdown. Maryland returns a fumble for a touchdown. Uh, you know, I mean, just so many impact plays that he was able to, to, to have and the, and the growth that he had. I mean, no one, I mean, Urban Meyer even said, you know, he didn't even want to take him on a scholarship. I don't think anyone saw Darren Lee coming down the pike, but uh, a lot of us are glad that he did, obviously. So, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about real briefly was, you know, going forward, we've obviously got like, you know, a lot of quarterback considerations to think about. How do you, I mean, God, this is, you know, it's hard to do this quickly, but how do you how's think it, Urban Meyer should handle it? going to work out next, next year? Yeah, well, not necessarily that, but how should it be handled at least? I think it's an open competition uh, in the spring. I, I don't think you you give anyone the job, and I say that because I don't think Braxton Miller is going to play quarterback anymore. I, I just I, I think that with the injuries that he have has, with the timeline that they're looking at of, of him being able to to be full go. I mean, you're looking at maybe July or August before he's you know 100 percent. Right. That to me is not a lot of I I can't put. The defending national champions can't put their chips behind that. You, you can't put your chips behind a guy. As great as Braxton Miller has been in the past, you can't put your chips behind a guy who you don't know if he's going to be able to throw the ball effectively until August. It just, it, it, it's, it's not feasible. I think Braxton Miller probably knows that as well. I think there's a position change ahead for him. Uh, I, I think that you'll see him in that uh, same role as what we saw, what we've seen uh, Dontre Wilson in, but what we really saw Jalen Marshall kind of take hold of and and really excel at. I mean, I I think that's probably what you're going to see. And I think that would be better for for Braxton in the long run, too. I don't know his prospects as an NFL quarterback. I mean, you know, he's a 6'2 guy, uh, you know, never an elite-level passer, elite-level athlete, unquestioned. But, I mean, you know – to play quarterback in the NFL, you got to be able to throw the ball. You got to be able to throw guys open. You got to fit the ball into tight windows. And I don't know if we've ever really seen Braxton. Um, I mean, necessarily attempted even, but uh, I, I think that, that that's probably what you're going to see. Now, depending on what JT's availability is here this spring, you know, six to eight week injury, you know, should be back mid-February, you know, end of February in rehab and running and stuff, he's probably still going to be limited. But I, I really believe that this is going to be probably an open competition between he and Cardell Jones again in uh, in fall camp. And, and I think that's, that's what it should be. I mean, you have two guys that, that played great during the course of the season. Um, let them battle it out again. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's JT's job to, to necessarily um, – I guess, I don't know the word, you know, just it's not his to, to be gifted to him because Cardell right. Jones played so well in those last three games. And at the same point, it's not Cardell Jones's job to, to, to lose necessarily, in my opinion, because it's just a, such a small body of work. I mean, granted, it was against great teams and he, he played lights out. But let's not forget, Ezekiel Elliott ran for 200 yards plus every single <laughs> game that Cardell right. Jones won. I can play help a quarterback out yeah. I can play quarterback in that offense, I think, and, and still get the job done. So, um, you know, I, I think not, you know, with, without inside information, without talking to the coaching staff about any of this, I think that's what you're going to see. I think that, that you're going to see spring just, you know, get guys through healthy. Uh, you know, if JT can practice a little bit, then so be it. But I think it's going to be an open competition uh, at the start of fall camp. 
And in a shocking move, Stephen Collier beats everybody out and <laughs> takes the starting job. Third string quarterback. There you go. He's ready to go. That's right. Um, thanks, Matt, for your for your thoughts this whole season. We're going to give you a break, I think, a little bit until um, we get closer to spring ball. But we're going to obviously we're going to have you stick around for Ask Us Anything. Absolutely. And uh, Johnny's going to tell our listeners how they can ask us anything. There's so many ways you can ask us anything. You can. Uh, send us an email uh, to dubcast at 11warriors.com, uh, D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter. Um, we do have our Twitter account, 11dubcast, so just go ahead and do that. Oh, awesome. and I have the questions as well. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I'm bad. I'm bad at this. I quit. Um, all right, so the first one here is from Jason. Um, he wants to know, after great performances in Hot Tub Time Machine and Hot Tub Time Machine 2, do you think Mark Helfrich will appear in part three if it gets greenlighted? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that's conceivable. I mean, he seems like yeah. a fun guy. I mean, it's, I think Mark Helfrich could do that. You know, it, it's an interesting, you know, kind of case study with with Mark Helfrich of, of how successful he's going to be at this level uh, right. long term for me. I mean, you know, he he's inherited a a gift horse and Phil Knight that, that is just going to attract star athletes there just because Nike is so ingrained sure. in, in what Oregon does. And, you know, he's inherited a great system. He's, uh, he's able to, to, to kind of put some things together, but you know, I mean, he, he's a, he, he's kind of getting that moniker. I mean, I guess, and it's really Oregon more as a program of not close. I mean, this was, this was Ohio state in the, in the mid two thousands. Can't win the big game. Right can get there but can't win the big game and you know we, you can say and you hear the national pundits oh you know he's, he's fine and, and this, this doesn't speak to Oregon as a program I guarantee you those kids at Oregon they're thinking I can't win the big game I yeah. guarantee you they're thinking that mm-hmm. that's a real thing well when I, I mean when they come so close together like that I mean it's, I think that's inevitable the other thing is is like this sounds. This is going to sound really weird, and I don't know if there's any truth to this, but I feel like when you've got a dude who establishes a tone for a program, and then you know his assistant takes over, and then that guy's assistant takes over, and a bit, like it feels like it might get watered down a little bit. The message gets watered down, or at least maybe the 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 driving force behind it. And to me, that's kind of what it feels like sometimes with Oregon a little bit, where you see like a copy of a copy of a copy, and eventually it's like. Some some kind of motive, not motivation, but something has been lost a little bit. And, you know, I don't know. I feel like I see that a little bit at Stanford, for example. It's just it's interesting to me how that kind of works out. So, I don't know. Well, you're getting way off topic. This is supposed to be about a hot tub time machine. <laughs> well, I do you know, that's what he's going to do. He's, gotta, he's always got to. And I say he's, he's not going to be in the third movie unless he gets a big raise because now he's taking his team to the national championship oh, game. Oh, there you go. All right, next one here. Uh, this is from Mark. Uh, Mark wants to know our, our thoughts about Dontre Wilson. He goes on for quite a while about how he supports him, but I, I think he just wants our overall thoughts about uh, you know how he looks or how he looks to fit into the offense going forward once he gets back healthy next year. You know, I've been very critical of Dontre Wilson uh, for the last couple of years. I mean, to, to me, um, you know, I'm a big put up or shut up guy. I mean, it, it, it's great that that you we got you out of Texas and you, you know, we beat Oregon out for you and you're supposed to be the fastest person in the, in the world. I, I, you know, I mean, nothing against the kid, but I just, I haven't seen it. And, and I don't know if it's, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if it's a, a case of him. You know, I, I've talked to him in passing once or twice, so I'm not going to really speak to his personality. I, I will. So I, I don't know if it's a case of him not having it and being overhyped and, and not 
being his fault of, you know, people just put too much on him and then, and he can't live up to that. Or if it's a case of he's, he's read everything and he doesn't work hard enough for it. I, I, I don't know what it is, um, but he's not as advertised. I, I, I will say that. I mean, you know, he has had the, the, the dropsies. He, he, he's, he's, the blocking has been an issue for him in the past. You know, there, there, there's a, for for my money, I take Jalen Marshall over Dontre Wilson every single day of the week, and and that's yeah. just me. That's just my personal opinion, and I mean for me, I, there's still a huge question mark for Dontre Wilson. I I don't know where he's going to fit in. I'll tell you what. I mean, if you give me the choice right now between Braxton Miller, Jalen Marshall, and Dontre Wilson, Dontre Wilson's third string to me at, at that H back position. Huh. That, that's just me. Well, and I got yeah. You, you know, I yeah, I agree ahead. with you that that he hasn't like. Jalen Marshall obviously has looked the part more than Dontre Wilson at that age back. I don't know if it's you know it's a, some guys come in and they they press a little bit and and maybe they don't relax and play you know that sort of slow down to speed up kind of mentality and, and maybe that needs to that switch needs to be flipped with uh, with Dontre Wilson. I, I still think he's a a great athlete and he could he could blossom into something. I, I'm I'm not certainly not writing him off, but he has not performed as others have in that spot i think the blocking is a big deal and i i think you know especially in this offense if you can't block you shouldn't be on the field so i i think he's he's definitely got an uphill you know climb to, to i think get more involved in the offense even if he is healthy um okay so another one here we got uh this is again from uh um well this is from aaron here aaron has a couple questions first is uh us about uh, about Ohio State claiming the 1970 national championship, even though they lost the Rose Bowl uh, that season. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say we probably should not claim that. I think that's a little silly. Um, but his larger question that he had here was about Cardale coming back, and his exact quote verbatim is, "What the hell was that?" Uh, don't get me wrong, uh, I'm pumped. <laughs> but why have a presser at all? Was it just a giant troll move? Did Tyvis put him up to this? I feel we need answers. You know, I mean, I think everyone was. I was saying, "What the hell was that?" I, I mean, I, I I thought he should have left. I mean, I I, yeah. I was convinced that he that he was going to go. I mean, to me, that that's the smart move. I mean, that was that was the smart move. That was the safe money. You know, I made the analogy on Twitter. Yeah, get paid, homie. You know, I mean, how many people are watching a game show with you know a homeless guy on it who's got five hundred thousand dollars in his bank and you know he has to risk that to make five million and you're yelling at him like, dude, take the five hundred grand and go get go get some pizza, and <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and and I think that's the position that that uh, that um, Cardell Jones was in. Now, I mean, th- to me, I, I guess looking at it from a dollars and cents perspective, which. Um, I mean, when it boils down to it, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I would make my decision off of. Right now, you've got that air of mystery about you. No one knows if you're really that great or if you're really just a kind of a three-game fluke. But I guarantee you someone's going to take the chance to find out. And someone would right. take the chance in the third round or so. You yeah, can always come I'm, back I'm and get really... your education. You can, and, and you're always going to be, unless you do a Maurice Claret, you are always going to be welcome in the city of Columbus to do whatever it is that you, you're always going to have a job. You're always going to have a way to support your family. I mean, regardless, that's how Ohio State takes care of its own. I mean, I understand what he was trying to say. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to make it a big deal for education to, to show kids that it's important to get your education. I mean, and, and you, I, you applaud the guy for that, but I, man, I, I hope it works out. For you. I guess that's all I can really say. You know, I hope it works out because, to me, 
huge, huge risk. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I think the NFL, they love measurables, and as long as those stay true, and as long as he doesn't get, like, you know, super Demarcus russell I, I think he'll be fine. Um, you know, as long as he's still got the arm and whatnot, and they can't pick him apart too much, I think it'll be all right. I, I also was, like, super surprised. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, you know, like, if I were from a uh, fan from any other team, I'd be like, take the money, dude, what are you doing? Um, yeah. But, you no, know, I'm not going to fault a guy. I'm a teacher, right? I'm not faulting a guy for going back to school. I mean, good for him, right? Like, I, I think that's cool, and I appreciate that. I mean, it's, it's weird, and I don't get it, but I think it's cool. <laughs> well, he even said after the game that he didn't feel like his game was ready to go to the NFL, and, and to have that, that self-awareness, I think, speaks volumes, and I think maybe in the long run it will work out for him. I hope yeah. it does. I do, too. All right, last question here. This is actually specifically for you, Mr. Citro. Um, yeah, this is from Matt. Uh, he basically says that the debriefing has become one of my favorite parts of Love and Warrior, and my favorite part of each debriefing is Jim Trestle's least favorite moment of the game. Uh, so here's a couple questions. Uh, first of all, how did you think of that, and what was the first one? And then secondly, do you know if Jim Trestle has read ever read one of these? <laughs> mm. So well, I'm going to say I'm going to answer for you for that second one and say probably not. Uh, but how did you think of this, and and what was the very first one? Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal something here that I didn't actually think this up. It was part of our our debriefing um, feature actually predates my coming to Eleven Warriors, and I took it over um, after. Oh, that's right. I, I like I joined in like during basketball season, right? And then the next fall, I took it over, and it was already sort of a template, and I just sort of made it my own. It was already in there, and so I didn't actually think it up. And so I don't know what the first one is, so I can't answer that question, Matt. I'm sorry. Then what is um, what is your favorite one? Um, well, first of all, let me ask answer his other question. Do I know if Dressel has ever read one of those? I assume he reads them every week. <laughs> I'm assuming that Tress is like you know waiting with bated breath for that debriefing to drop every Sunday morning. No doubt. Um, and and so uh, do you know what he thinks about it? He probably thinks it's hilarious. Uh, my favorite one was probably, I don't know, I, I had this thing where he was, um, he was watching the game while he was, like, painting this, like, miniature of some obscure Civil War general. <laughs> like, I had this in my mind that he just collects these, these Civil War general figurines or something, and, um, yeah, and he threw it against the wall and smashed it when something, something bad happened, probably the punt went into the end zone for a touchback or something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, usually my least favorite trestle moments have to do with turnovers or, or the punting game in some fashion. Well, there you go. All right. And that, that is the, uh, that is ask us anything for this week. So thank you very much for writing in and we'll have to keep doing it. And thank you, Matt Fingus for coming in and talking with us today. Always a pleasure guys. We'll do it again here around the spring game. Enjoy your, uh, enjoy your cold months. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> All right. Thanks Matt. Bye right, guys. We'll see you. All right, joining us tonight is our our very own Eleven Warriors beat writer Tim Shoemaker. Tim, how you doing tonight? Good, man. How are you guys? We're good. Oh, we're doing good. We're hoping you're getting a little bit of rest now that the uh, football season's finally over. Yes, uh, finally. Um, it's been a long. It was a long three three and a half weeks for us, but we are finally starting to get back uh, get back on a normal schedule. So. That's good. Well, we want to get into that a little bit. We want to t- talk about the crazy scenes in New Orleans and Dallas and, and all the, the weird and wacky things that you saw down there. Um, let's start with the Sugar Bowl and just tell us a little bit about the 
atmosphere and um, you know what it was like Ohio State fans versus Alabama fans and that kind of thing. I know you spent a lot of time working and at the stadium and everything, but I'm, I'm sure you got out a few times. Oh yeah, we, yeah, we ventured out uh, on the evenings, but uh, I tell you what, we got there pretty early in the week, and and there weren't there weren't a lot of people from either fan base there. Uh, it, it didn't really you know kick in until um, like the 30th and, and New Year's Eve is when kind of all both fan bases started getting down there, and uh, it was it was wild. There were uh, a lot of people there, and uh, a lot of Ohio State fans, and a lot of Alabama fans. And, when you were so, in, inside the Superdome in the game, it was it was pretty much fifty fifty. It was loud, and they were very very passionate about <laughs> about each team. So it was a lot of fun. Well, that's actually okay. So that's what I want to ask you about. Um, what was the most ridiculous or crazy fan interaction that you had uh, at either the Sugar Bowl or the National Championship? Oh, craziest was definitely just all the stuff like, just out on Bourbon Street. Um, for the Sugar Bowl, there were just Alabama fans screaming the Roll Tide nonsense, and then the Ohio State fans come back with cheers <laughs> of their own, just in the middle of the street, and it's, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, there's just people yelling, there's booze flying everywhere. It was it was, it was honestly, like, eye-opening to, to just step step back and watch <laughs> these people just yell at each other. <laughs> and, and this was all before the game, obviously. I didn't get to go out after the game and see the scene then, but before the game, like, just constant, constant yelling and, and screaming and chants and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was, it was wild. Uh, so okay, so now contrast that a little bit with Dallas and what you saw there, and, and tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the, the similarities and differences that you noticed in that uh, lead up to the big game. Yeah, Dallas was, it was a little different. I, I don't know if you guys have been to the city, but it, it's kind of more spread out. So there's not there's not as much uh, all going on in one area like New Orleans is. So. Uh, the fan bases were, were spread out, but there was clearly more Ohio State fans than Oregon fans in Dallas. And uh, you know, we we only made it into the city once and went to out to a few few places, and all Ohio State fans with Oregon fans sprinkled in. And uh, on game day, when we got to the stadium, we had to get up, we had to go over there at like two thirty uh, in the afternoon, just because that's when our shuttle went over there. And outside the stadium, it honestly looked pretty similar to Lane Avenue. Um, there were. <laughs> a lot of Ohio state fans. And then inside, inside the stadium was, you know, 65, 70% Ohio state fans. And it was, it was loud and, and pro definitely a pro OSU crowd. And I'm sure you could tell from wherever you were watching the game that, because it was heavily favored in, in OSU's favor. So. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, you know, kind of the attitude of the team in general, because I'm, I'm freaking out, right? Like I'm sweating bullets. Like right. I can't, I can't deal with anything at the time, but like, how was what was the attitude of the team like in the Sugar Bowl and the national championship? They seemed super loose, obviously in the you know media days. But is that you know was that really how they were working? Yeah, it, it, it was actually surprising just how laid back that that they were. Like they, leading up to the the national championship game, especially, it, it was almost like they knew something, um, and it, I think it kind of showed in the game. They, they dominated that game. Uh, barring the turnovers, but they were very laid back and, and, and felt very confident. There was like a quiet confidence about them. They didn't really say a, a whole lot, but they were. You, you could tell that they kind of knew something. And, and Urban Meyer, who is a pretty uptight guy, um, he, he's very serious all the time. And, and during his his media sessions leading up to that game, it was just kind of it was different. Like he was almost like the same way uh, back when they played Michigan State. He was very upbeat. 
before the game, and it was like you kind of got the feeling that he knew something that he was going to be able to exploit uh, in the team that he faced and, and clearly showed against Oregon. And the Alabama game was a little different. They, I felt like they dominated that game too, but it, it was much closer, obviously, in, in terms of the score and, and you know settling for field goals early on, falling behind early had a lot to do with that. But, but yeah, they, they were a very laid-back team all season. I, I think they kind of embraced that role that, that not many – people gave them a chance to win and as much as that gets you know overhyped and overplayed they hear that kind of stuff they, they say that they don't pay attention to it but you know they really do you can't really avoid it so I think they definitely use that and and I don't think they were surprised or anything I think they honestly they believed that they could they could beat Alabama and they believed they could beat Oregon and they just went out there and pretty much dominated both games you know Tim I know you had um an interesting uh, time when you're out there with, uh, with our, your fellow beat writer Patrick Max and uh, Jeremy Birmingham, our, our Lord of Whispers, was taking photos. Um, and I know you had an interesting ride home too on the plane. Uh, to, I know you wrote about it. Can you tell us what? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, man, I, uh, I I actually flew uh, I flew out of Cincinnati uh, when we went to Dallas, and, and Berm and, and Max flew out of Columbus. So I, I was on a different flight than them, but. You know, we, we flew out, we flew back Wednesday, um, Wednesday night, and two days after the game, and I was in the airport, and, you know, just, I was doing some work at the airport, wasn't really paying much attention, I got on my, I got on my flight, and it was all filled with Ohio State fans, you know, obviously, you know, flight from Dallas going back to Ohio, you know, presumed that it would be filled with Ohio State fans, and uh, I, I walked back to my seat, and there was a, there was a guy in an Oregon hat, and I happened to be sitting right in front of him, and so I could just tell that he was—he he didn't say a whole lot, and, and uh, so I, you know, I chatted up with him. I, you know, why are you? Why? How did you become an Oregon fan? Why do you living exist? in Ohio? <laughs> how, how did you become an Oregon fan? You know, living in Ohio, and he explained like he was—he was a lawyer who lived in Cincinnati, and he went to Oregon for school, but he went to Ohio State actually for a year, and and transferred, and. And so we got on the flight, and it was all Ohio State fans. There were OH cheers pretty much throughout the entire flight, and I could tell that he was just getting kind of overwhelmed. And it was just, it was just like a, it was just a, an interesting scene. And then I, I wrote about this in my story, but we were you know, waiting for our luggage to get back, and I, I just asked him, you know, right as I was about to to get my stuff, I was like, hey man, have you had enough of this yet? Like it's just getting to you. And he said something like, uh. He said, "Nah, I mean, I, I wish we had a fan base like this. It, it, they're every the Ohio State fans are everywhere. I, I wish we had something like that. Or it, it was something along those lines." And I was just like, "Yeah, this is this is crazy. I mean, we were we were getting off the airport, and it was we were walking through the airport at 8:30 at night on a Wednesday, and there are people OH and other people across the Cincinnati airport, and I was just like, this is this is insane." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things that I want to talk about, it feels like, I mean, it was a huge surprise, I think. We we talked about this a little earlier in the Dubcast, like how, like, in shock we kind of were after the whole thing. I mean, there's been some people who have said that Urban Meyer kind of felt the same way, like he was kind of, like, taken aback that the team had done as much as they did. Do you think that's the case, or do you think he was just kind of playing it, like, super chill and, and just, you know, being his old Urban Meyer self? I, yeah, no, I, I think it's a little both. I think he honestly was surprised at how – how much that the team improved throughout the year. And cause I, I mean, he, he knew that he thought that the team was a year away. I mean, they had a lot of guys. When you, when you think about the team, like what they lost last year coming into this season, like they, they had seven guys from, 
from last year's team who were starting in the NFL as rookies. Like that's not easy to replace no matter who you bring in. And a lot of the guys that they brought in had never played significant time before. So you really didn't know anything. And then they got off to a slow start this year and he, he probably, probably thought, you know, Hey, we're not that good. But, but then, you know, the, just the progression of the team kind of, they got better each week. And that's like a, the oldest cliche in, in sports coaches say, we got to get better each week, get better each week. But, Mm-hmm. You know, this year's Ohio State team actually did, and you could see it on the field. They got better pretty much each and every week, every game that they played. You know, they had a few up, ups and downs, but, you know, you'll have that. And then when they got to, you know, uh, the the Big Ten Championship game, that's when I think Urban finally said, like, hey, he, he actually said that he didn't think that they were capable of winning a national championship until after that game, after a 59 to nothing win against Wisconsin. He's like, Whoa, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty good. <laughs> And I think that's when he really believed it. And then and then everybody else around the country believed it, I think, after they beat Alabama. Uh, the, the, there were a lot more people that picked Ohio State to beat Oregon than there were that picked Ohio State to beat Alabama. And you know, I, I think that after that Alabama game, even I was like, okay, they're, they, can, they can easily do this now. So I, I actually picked them to beat Alabama. So I, I don't know why I did. I had no rationale for it. Um, <laughs> when, when we do our staff picks, you know, I – they asked me what what I thought the score of the game was, and I think I picked Ohio State to win like thirty-one to twenty-eight. I was like, I don't really know why. I just have a feeling that they're gonna they're gonna win the game, and they went out and did that. And then uh, they went out and dominated Oregon um, more so than they did Alabama. And and I think Urban, I think he realized after that Wisconsin game, and definitely after the Alabama game, like we are a really really good team. And, and he just I think just the, the improvement kind of shocked him, and it, it kind of shocked everybody to be honest. All right, Tim, uh, one last question before we let you go. Uh, you've covered this team all season long for 11 Warriors. Did a great job, by the way. Thank you for that. Thank and you. I wanted to ask you, what's the most remarkable thing you've seen? And I, I, I don't want you to say Jeremy Birmingham's bar tab, just uh, something else <laughs> that you've seen that is pretty remarkable and has surprised you. Uh, just with the team or just in, in general here? What are you talking about? In, in, your, in your travels and covering the team, what, you know, what stands out to you? Oh, just the, just the, I, I think it's, I, I mean, I always knew how, how passionate the, the Ohio State fan base was, but like they're, they're everywhere, man. Like we go to, <laughs> we went to road games and neutral site games and, and Texas and they're, they're literally just everywhere. And, and it, it, Urban always, always, you know, thanks the fans for going out and supporting them. And, and, but they travel no matter where where you go, they travel. They we went to you know Happy Valley was probably the only place where there weren't any there wasn't a significant crowd advantage. I mean, even when we went to Michigan State, there were a lot, there were tons of Ohio State fans there, uh, but they just travel so well. It's really it's really just fascinating to me how 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 passionate they are about the football team. So I think that's just something that you know when you go to the different cities and there's there's other other teams who have fan bases who claim to be just as passionate, and they're just—it's it, really not not much of a comparison. You know, New Orleans was was close, but that's a much shorter drive. So, you know, I give Ohio State fans the benefit of the doubt there too. They they travel like like no other. All right, Tim. Well, uh, thank you so much for your coverage this year. We look forward to hearing more from you. And uh, Tim Shoemaker, everybody, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Joining us tonight on the 11 Dubcast, very special guest, former Ohio State wide receiver and ESPN analyst Joey Galloway. Joey, thanks so much for being on the Dubcast with us. 
No problem. Thanks for having me. Joey, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, last Monday night's game. Of course, um, as a as a broadcaster, you know you have your detachment and you're breaking down the game, but you're also a Buckeye. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience watching the game last Monday night. That's interesting. Uh, the Sugar Bowl and the national championship game, I was on the sideline, um, and, and a lot of my colleagues are out there, and of course I have to you know, do college football live and shows before the games and then do shows after the game. So I sort of have to uh, tone it down some, you know, and I can't just be jumping around and, and rooting for the Buckeyes when, you know, people are expecting me to, to give an unbiased opinion uh, after the game. So it's one of those things where I'm sitting there right on the Ohio State sideline, but I'm, I'm trying to uh, – professionally take in the game without becoming a cheerleader. <laughs> That's probably pretty difficult to do. Um, but i got to tell you something. One of the things that I really, really appreciate that you do uh, on ESPN is, that, you know, I see that you break it down very in- analytically. Uh, it looks like you approach the game from a very, like, thoughtful angle, and, and I really, like, like that, uh, especially on ESPN. Um, from your perspective, what was maybe one of the most interesting um, maybe statistics or plays from either the Sugar Bowl or the national championship game that Ohio State displayed? The only thing that surprised me in, in either game, and, and thank you, by the way, I, I spent a lot of time watching film, and I appreciate you saying that, but the only thing that uh, that surprised me in either game was Ohio State's ability to come back from down 21-6 to Alabama. <clears throat> Going into that game, um, you know, that, that was a game where Ohio State could have could have played their A game and possibly lost to Alabama. Um, and, and they came in and they fought very physical game uh, and won. And then you go to the national championship game, that's a completely different team, but you go in knowing that if Ohio State plays their A game, there's absolutely nothing that Oregon could do about it. And that's exactly how it played out. They ran the ball. They, you know, even with the turnovers, uh, the, the physical uh, game that Ohio State brings was just too much for Oregon at the end of the day. Joey, I wanted to circle back a little bit about to, you know, what you were talking about, about ha- having to be unbiased. And I know that um, some of our listeners and our readers of our website are, uh, they're not fans of Kirk Herbstreet because they feel like he leans too far the other way. And they also feel like maybe. Mark May, who you know, has they, they feel like he has a bias against Ohio State. What is your relationship like with with Mark, and um, you know what can you tell us about uh, Kirk, and and maybe what it's like to to try to be unbiased, but still you know keep your your home fans uh, you know on your good side. I know that's got to be a difficult tightrope to walk. It is, and, and there's going to come a time, and I and I know this from what I do. There's going to come a time when. Uh, I'm going to speak my mind and be honest, and, and that may rub some Ohio State fans the wrong way. Um, if you're in this business long enough, like Kirk has been in this business long enough, there are times when your honest opinion is that the other team may be better. And, and I realize that there is going to come a time when that happens to me, and, and I expect to be extremely, extremely professional and, and give my honest opinion in that case. Um, so, you know, when, when we see it from our side, uh, it, it's not really a surprise because any time that any one of us goes on TV, uh, you know, we are going to say something about somebody that upsets 
that fan base and you become, you know, I've been anything from an Ohio State homer to a Florida State homer to a <laughs> Pac-12 homer. You know what I mean? It just switches up. Just right. depends on what show you're doing and who you're talking about. Um, so I don't look at it in, uh, let's see if I can keep a certain fan base happy. Uh, I, I more look at it in, uh, I, I have an extensive resume of playing football, of studying film, and therefore, when I sit down and watch film, I just get my, you know, my honest opinion, and, and that's going to rub some people the other way. Kirk is in that same position. Uh, I've been around long enough that at times, uh, Ohio State's not the favorite team. They're they're not the better team in some games. Fortunately, this season that did not happen to me, but uh, it, it will. <laughs> and then the Mark May thing is is really interesting. And you know, and a lot of people uh, watched after the Sugar Bowl, and it was me and Mark May on the set. And uh, you know, a lot of people took that as in me and Mark May arguing. And 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 to me professionally, it was it was just a discussion. And there was no you know off the air. Uh, Mark May is a, a terrific guy. You know what I mean? It, as soon as the cameras go off, uh, he's as normal as anybody. And we sit there and we uh, we we get something to eat. We hang out. Uh, he's he's a great guy. He's just been on uh, the bad side of uh, Ohio State and Ohio, and Ohio State fans. And you know, and I took the picture with Mark wearing the hat. He was a great sport about that. It was funny. <laughs> you know, no no big deal. It was just you know all in good fun. So. Let's circle back maybe about to uh, to Ohio State real quick. Um, one of the most impressive improvements on the team, in my opinion, has been the play of the wide receivers. And, you know, as a, obviously a former wide receiver yourself, what have they done to transform to that group that, you know, Urban Meyer was basically saying was garbage, you know, a couple of years ago, to maybe one of the strengths of the offense in terms of, like, the ability to create big plays and, and really keep the game going? I think if there is a position... Uh, that has grown. The, the offensive line would be one that you would talk about, but that receiving crew has absolutely grown. If you've seen this team practice in the spring, which I did, uh, you wasn't real sure if you could depend on those guys to go out and win a football game for you. And by the end, uh, they were as confident in the receiver room as any group on the field, knowing that uh, when their opportunities came their way, and, and when you talk receiver play, you talk especially here, you, you talk about blocking and catching passes. And, uh, you know, and I, I said, you know, during the season that I was extremely proud of the growth uh, that happened in that room from a group that you just didn't really know what you had to a group that by the end you knew that you had playmakers outside that you could depend on at any point in time in the game. Joey, one of the things we have to ask you while you're on is um... – uh, we have a kid on the team who, uh, it, it, in sort of a tribute to you, is wearing the crop top jersey, Ezekiel Elliott. That's that's got to make you feel good knowing that he's out there sporting your look. It's actually kind of funny. Uh, and and we were down at the national championship game, and I was hanging with Eddie George, and uh, somebody brought that up to Eddie, and, and Eddie said, you know, Joey started that here. He was the first one to do it, and, and then Eddie said he followed uh, me and doing that, and we just sort of laughed. It, it's funny. It's great. Uh, you know, you see young guys because I know when I was a young guy, um, you know, I, I chose my face mask because uh, Deion Sanders had that face mask. So it, it it is fun more than anything. If you're a fan of the sport and you grew up and 
and you do things because certain players do them. I wore a neck roll when I was younger because Eric Dickerson wore one, you know, those kind of things. So now to be in on the other side of that and you have a young guy doing something because you did it, it, it it's a lot of fun. It just makes you laugh. <laughs> I think there, that's the thing. I think the operative word is fun because this has been a, like a ridiculously – I think fun season, and not just because of the way it ended. I think it's just the ups and downs have just been insane. Um, is this like maybe the most impressive coaching performance you've ever seen? Like I, I am just blown away by what Urban Meyer and company were able to accomplish this year. I mean, it, what has this done, or how has he been able to do this in such a short period of time where you go from losing your Heisman contending quarterback to winning the national championship? I think that, uh, and, and I tried to squeeze this answer out of, uh, out of Coach Meyer two times on, on national TV. Uh, once in Orlando at the, uh, at the award show, um, I had a chance, he, he came on the set with us and I had a chance to ask him that question. Uh, he did not, he did not accept that it was. And then after the Sugar Bowl again, had a chance to ask him and again, he sort of, uh, deflected it and, uh, <laughs> You know, and I did not have a chance to ask him after the national championship game, but, you know, I, I think that for him to say it is different, but for the rest of us looking in, uh, to see what, uh, he has accomplished, uh, I would say that, uh, that was about as impressive as, as, as any coach has ever coached any team, not just him. But, uh, you know, when I had a chance to address the team in, in New Orleans, I said, you know, you guys are doing something that the world has never seen a team do before. When you talk about the quarterback situation, when you talk about replacing four offensive linemen up front in a season, uh, and then all five guys play every single game, is I mean, some of the things that this team has accomplished, not just not just the winning, but the way they grew, uh, the way they played in the end, is, is uh, outstanding coaching, and you got to give a lot of credit uh, to the rest of the staff and, and what the, what the players did. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an amazing season, uh, Joey. When you look back uh, from that to that Virginia Tech loss to now, uh, obviously the the you know the the offensive line uh, came together, quarterback situation grew. Um, but one thing that a lot of people don't really talk about is the defense and the way the defense uh, had to play against three consecutive Heisman Trophy finalists. Um, what did you see in, in the growth of that defense? Because it was giving up big plays early in the season, and, and the last couple of games, it pretty much uh, was almost like the old silver bullets. Yeah, and it's unfortunate uh, somewhat that the defense won't get the credit they deserve uh, because you're absolutely right to, to do what they did, um, not just uh, you know the, the way they played, but you look at the adversity that the defense was put in when, when you think about um, an Oregon offense uh, that has given the ball, you know, what was it, four turnovers in that game? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, giving those extra chances to that team, the defense to, to go out there uh, and do what they did by the end of the season, you know, you sort of had some question marks, you know, when you give up long runs to teams like Indiana, uh, you know, when you give up some of the bigger plays toward the end of the season, you, it makes you nervous, especially when you're mm-hmm. going against a Wisconsin team that runs the ball they, the way they do, or Alabama team that has, uh, you know, Amari Cooper on the outside. Um, but those guys stepped up, and, and you're absolutely right. By the end of that season, uh, you know, they look like some of the older uh, Ohio State defenses. And, you know, be, because of the quarterback situation, because of what Ezekiel Elliott did, uh, they may not get 
uh, the credit they deserve uh, for their their part in winning the games. Uh, Joey, I was watching the the film room um, uh, the film room feed for the national championship game, just rewatching and whatnot. And they were talking about the Ohio State offense, and, and there was obvious, there was one part of the game, one I think one series where they just basically ran the wham play about like thirty times in a row and scored a touchdown. What, what about this offense makes it so difficult to defend? Because it feels like the concepts involved aren't like super crazy, but what makes it so difficult to stop them? Well, when you have when you have playmakers um, at different positions, uh, any offense is tough to stop. And I thought that's why uh, we would have a, a better chance against a team like Alabama because they're so one-sided when it comes to their explosiveness with right. Amari Cooper, you know what I mean? You could take him away, and it's going to automatically keep you in the game. But when you have guys who can make plays, whether it's from their running back position, quarterback position, and then your wide outs are, are playing as confidently as our, our guys started playing, uh, those offenses are tough to stop. And I don't know that a lot of people realize how important uh, a running game is to the passing game, how important the passing game is to the running game because if you have the ability to to keep a defense off balance and you can hurt them from different places, then it, it makes an offense tough to tough to stop. And you know you could see that those things came together. And by the fourth quarter, defenses were so tired of trying to figure out what they were doing, and then it was just the Ezekiel Elliott show. Uh, they were worn down, and he was just running guys over by that point. Hey Joey, before we let you get out of here, just one one more question. Wanted to ask you as a uh, as a former Buckeye and uh, an Ohio State alum, what does it mean to you to see the team, you know, win a national championship? I know you know they did it back in '02, uh, but what does it mean to you and the, the like the brotherhood of players that played uh, in the scarlet and gray? What does it mean to you to win the national championship? Uh, it, it it's special. It is, you know, to be there, uh, you know, to, to see these guys practice, to see where they came from, uh, and, and then to be paying as much attention as I pay to it simply because of my job. Um, you know, it, it sort of, you know, I, I'm extremely happy. I am, I wish, uh, that I could have just put on my Ohio State shirt and Ohio State hat and, uh, gone out <laughs> and enjoyed it as much as the rest of the fans. But uh, it, it is great, and I, I can't wait. I have not been down there yet. I plan to go down tomorrow and see just see who's around. But, you know, just being on the sideline with these guys has been a great ride. All right, well, Joey, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Joey Galloway, a guy who can still beat everyone in the 40-yard dash. Uh, <laughs> thanks for being on the 11 Dubcast. Thanks, guys. And there you have it. It is our season wrap-up. Football season wrap-up, 11 Dubcast. Of course, we will be back the coming weeks, and we're going we're gonna to start shifting to basketball. But the next couple of weeks are probably going to be more football recruiting-related. So, uh, you know, stop by the next couple of weeks. We'll probably have some recruits on that you can hear from. Uh, we want to th- obviously thank our guests, Joey Galloway, Tim Shoemaker, and our friend Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. But, Johnny, before we get out of here, I have to ask you a final question. Well, before you do, I just want to say one quick thing. Uh, Matt had a secondary question about our schedule going forward, just real quick. Um, oh, we'll yeah? be doing it weekly, going through basketball season, and then after that, 
um, we will be uh, doing it monthly. So April, May, June, July, August, well, at least the beginning of August, I guess, will all be once a month. But we're going to be weekly all the way through basketball. So you get to right. talk about the amazing basketball team. So when, you know, as soon as Ohio State is season's done, which looks like it's probably not going to go as long as we'd like it to, <laughs> Um, that's when we'll go to monthly after that. And, right. of course, we'll be back before the spring game to, to break that down for you. Absolutely. So uh, one last question for you, Johnny. And we're going to go back to this uh, this just unbelievable, magical football season. And I want you to tell me your favorite play of the entire season. Oh, man. Um Okay, there's two. Uh, okay, I, I got to go back to the JT Barrett run against Minnesota, which still makes <laughs> me laugh. I can't. I just watched it. I remember when it happened. I must have rewatched it like a thousand times on ESPN because <laughs> they can't catch up with him. He's not very like JT Barrett's a fast guy. Like I'm just saying, he's not fast. But Minnesota's yeah. defenders just could not. Like he had like three defensive backs chasing him. They could not catch up with the dude. Just crack me up. Uh. The second one, though, that's got to be tied for that um, was uh, Cameron Johnson's punt against, I think it was Indiana, that it was like a good 50-yard punt, and I swear to God, it looked like something shot it out of the air, and it just died (laughs) on the two-yard line. That was one of the most impressive punts I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, You know, talk about Jim Trestle's least favorite. That had to be his favorite moment of any game. That was the most beautiful punt I've ever seen in my whole life. Uh, yeah, it was like a 50-yard putt, and it just died at the one. It, it just died. It's like somebody was in the grassy knoll and just picked it off. It was like, oh, my God. It was – I was live. I actually got to see that live, and it's it was even more fun uh, in person than it was on TV because it, it was so high, and then it just hits it, and it's dead. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, those are my two favorite plays. I mean, I know, I know Ezekiel Elliott in 85, blah, blah, blah. Those two plays brought me more joy, I think, as individual plays than anything else that I saw this season. Those are outstanding choices, obviously. And um, I think one of my favorites would have to be the Joey Bosa walk-off sack. There you go. That's a good Where he, he used the Penn State running back as a weapon. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, you never see that. I mean, he just used the guy to tackle another guy. It's like, here you go. You are now a projectile weapon. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to get... I'm going to get Hackenberg, and I'm going to use you to do it. I mean, it was just such like a, I don't know, it was like something out of a, uh, like, 24, like that Jack Bauer would do or right. something, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was amazing. Right. Uh, so that one that one definitely have to be up there for me. And, and obviously uh, the long Elliott run to, to salt away the Sugar Bowl over Alabama was pretty amazing, too, because it was just like, yep, there's that Big Ten speed, and yeah. nobody's going to catch him. Yeah. So uh, it was it was a it was a season filled with great plays and really you couldn't go wrong with with any number of them and um, uh, you know I'm, we're gonna think back often and fondly of this uh, 2014 football season Johnny and we're gonna go all the way to next year knowing we are the champions and we everybody's chasing us yeah I'm not gonna forget this season this is this was a good one and I I was glad we got to share it with I was glad I got to share it with you Michael and I'm glad we got to share it with everybody listening to this as well so yeah this is pretty darn good I'm pretty I'm in a pretty good place right now <laughs> and me too so we'll be back next week to talk recruiting as we head towards uh, national signing day and uh, you know we're just gonna keep loading up urban's uh, Urban just keeps picking off those four- and five-star recruits. Uh, But until then, I'm Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginner. Peace, everybody.